Thanks to Slack for supporting The Motley Fool. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to slack.com to learn more. It's Wednesday, November 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we've got Jeff Fisher from Motley Fool Pro and Options and Bill Mann, the Motley Fool's Director of Small Cap Strategy. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, Mac. How are you? Good. How are we feeling? How are you? Good. I'm good. Jeff, you were saying you're a little, little tired, had a, had a rough night well, last night? Well, if you want to get into it, yeah, I didn't, didn't sleep well last night. I'm not sure why. I mean, maybe I someone can help me out. I have Tips a theory. I have a theory. Were you excited about the revised GDP numbers? I, that's what I was waiting for. I was, yeah. <laughs> it, goes, it definitely goes into the list. you know. Okay. Well, wait no longer, because the revised GDP numbers are here. GDP guys growing at a 3.3 annualized rate for the third quarter. That's the strongest growth since 2014. But it really didn't do much for the market. In fact, the NASDAQ, at the time of our taping right now, the NASDAQ down big. And Bill. NASDAQ hates GDP. NASDAQ apparently (laughs) hates GDP. And Bill, this comes against a backdrop where Goldman Sachs has come out warning that stocks are at their highest valuation since 1900. Not just stocks, but every asset class. Every asset class. And and what they're saying is that since 1900, there's only been a few times in which stocks and bonds have really moved in the same direction, have become as distended as they are now. And the other time was 1920, which I understand didn't work out. And how'd that work out? Yeah, you know, I'm not much on history, but (laughs) (laughs) they didn't call it the Great Depression for nothing. There's no question that we're going to see volatility in bonds and stocks, and I guess almost any investment bill. I don't know about real estate. We'll see. But I have a long statement I could make, or I could just I want to keep the conversation going because we're not quite to what I want to say yet. Okay. Well, no, no. Well, <laughs> maybe now we are. Well, let's talk about that because we have all these different data points. We yep. have you know a a roaring stock market you know yeah. until today at least. We've got GDP numbers that are really strong. We've got the prospect of tax reform, and we have this kind of ongoing issue with North Korea, which may not be great. Yeah, to throw that in there too. So yeah. when you throw all that into the soup as an investor, what do you do with all that? Well, I think where we're still at though, and and Janet Yellen and the Fed is talking about this again today, how interest rates are going to only rise moderately, slowly. So where we are at is interest rates are still low. The S and P 500 has a 2.1 percent yield, which is right around where it historically has been. The S and P 500 trades. On estimates from CapIQ at about 18.5 times normalized earnings, kind of middle of the road for 2018. Yeah, yeah, kind of middle of the road. And gap, I'm happy to see, is right right at the same level. So, 18 times the mean uh, PE ratio of the S&P over history is 15.7. So we're about 15 percent above that. On 2018 estimates. So, as you say, Bill, we're we're not that far out of line, and with stocks, Goldman somehow disagrees with you, though they do, and they're looking also at the Schiller PE, which I don't buy into completely. The Schiller PE is 32. The Schiller PE takes the last 10 years and and averages it more or less. So, here's the deal: we have spent now. We're getting ready to go into our ninth year, tenth year, following the financial collapse. And what has been in place in that entire time has been asset purchases by governments around the world. The central banks have taken on a huge amount. You know, there's 13 trillion dollars of uh, of sovereign debt that is a negative interest rate now. Um, 
at some point that has to reserve to reverse. At some point that has to uh, they have to start selling. They'll sell down their balance sheets, and what they're doing is propping up assets. Right, and I don't know what's going to happen. We are we we have been in uncharted territory for a long time, so I don't want to be Doctor Doom about this, but it has to happen, you know. And I think that has something to do with the fact that all of these all of the asset classes are as expensive as they are now. We're not even talking about Bitcoin, which I know you don't want to talk about, but yeah, you know. yeah, that's a sign of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least Warren Buffett and other people say avoid it. It's a sign of speculation. There's no real value there, but no. I, I I have no strong opinion on it. Um, but Bill is right. As the quantitative it. easing of all these prior the prior decade more or less slowly starts to unwind, what will happen? We're not nobody knows. You would expect yeah. asset prices to not rise as much if they rise. Classical finance would say that that's yeah. the case. Rise moderately, maybe, along with coming back to GDP. That's really going to be the driver of value in the end in the stock market. But we also don't know if economies get weak again, are we now addicted to this drug? Will governments come out, assuming we have a functioning government, and say, hey, we're going to reinstate QE, we're going to support asset prices? Because that's what we're getting used to now. So, Coming back to the the what all this means for investors and for individual investors, when you take all that into consideration, when you take the Goldman Sachs report into consideration, are you still looking at companies really on a company by company basis, or does the macro weigh on your investment thesis? I think I can speak for almost everybody at the Fool, where we look at a company itself and what it is creating and the value it's deriving from its business. And you can look at so many stocks that did well the prior decade, like say 2000 to 2009, when overall the market did badly. But you had Netflix in there and Google and mm-hmm. MasterCard and all these businesses Pretty that were, were yeah. full names, yeah. uh, full companies. Um, that did really well. So that's what we're trying to find, regardless of what the economy does. That said, the backdrop of the macro does, of course, play in your mind a little bit. It might direct yeah. you to mm-hmm. what sort of companies you look at, for it, example. I think there is actually very little linkage between what the price of the market is at any given point. And what how it performs over the next ten years. There's not a huge amount of correlation, simply because of all all of the other inputs that go into what's going to happen in the future. You know, I think that the 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 thing that you know, and Jeff was talking about this as well. The thing that is really really hard to get your head around is what's going to happen with those balance sheets, right? That's not. If you believe that they have to unwind, that's not a bullish case for assets. But you know. We've been people have been waiting now for six, seven years for a pullback in the markets that hasn't happened. And Bill, we are trading emails um, this morning, and I know one of the things that you were fired up to talk about was regulatory concerns with yeah. regards to big tech. So now that we're talking companies, when we look at the last ten years and we look at this bull market, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Netflix have had huge, huge run-ups. Facebook, yeah, but. There's this whole issue of regulatory concerns, and oh, by the way, we're not just talking about the U.S., we're talking about Europe and the rest of the world. How much does that weigh on you? I think we're especially talking about Europe and the rest of the world. I think Europe's been really, really nervous about Google and about Amazon and what... I mean, I think if you pull back, you know, we, we love these companies, but if you pull back the layers from Amazon, 
what you really can't get away from is that they are anti-competitive in some ways. I mean, they they just they just are right, and that's something that the U.S. the U.S. tolerates much more than Europe tends to. So you can get away with that when you are 0.2 percent of all commerce. Can you get away with it when you're? Two percent? Can you get away with it when you're four or five percent? And I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, and keep in mind, Europe does not benefit from Amazon and Google the way, of course, the U.S. does by hosting these U.S. companies. Yeah, Chipotle is looking for a new CEO. Current CEO and founder Steve Ells will become executive chairman, where he'll focus on innovation. Now, Jeff, shares of Chipotle trading around three hundred dollars today. Back in 2015, trading north of $700. Can a new CEO turn it around? Well, there, it, it, you could say there's no question that they need to make a change. And uh, this may be even overdue because the company has just been stumbling for about two years or so. And I don't think any of us would argue that they've had a clear strategy to right the ship and to bring consumer customer confidence back into the, into the store. Uh, and to grow traffic, they've struggled on all those counts, and I think they need they need a refresh. They need someone who is going to look at everything they do and not have any sacred cows, so to speak, and be willing to make changes. <laughs> is, is this is this primarily a story of you know their foodborne illnesses and all of the health concerns, or did Chipotle just get over its skis in terms of its valuation and growth? So. I mean, first of all, I do want to say, how bad must it feel for Stephen Ells to announce that he's stepping down and to have the stock go up? I think it was—it's been as high as thirteen percent. Yeah, that's kind of sting. That as a founder, that's not—that's—that's that's not the way that you want to increase the value of your company. <laughs> True. Although maybe it helps him like affirm. Okay, maybe he gets I'm, over, I'm making yeah. the right decision. Yeah, he owns right. enough stock. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh, to me, there's a couple of questions here. One is I think it's very clear that the environment around Chipotle has changed. When they came out, they were special because they were they were coming out in an environment when there weren't that many restaurants or chains that were doing something that was similar as they were with food with integrity. These were real things. But I think in 2017, you've kind of lost the plot there. You can you, you know, you you can walk out from full headquarters and find five places within 500 feet that also do something similar to what Chipotle does. So they have they had a game plan and the environment shifted and they did not. So I think that that's a real thing that a new manager needs to bring to the table. And Steve Ells was just, and I happen to think that he, you know, he did a bang up job for a lot of years. But this is not an environment that he is prepared to deal with. So how about the next CEO? Who who are we going to bring in? You know, I'd love to see Panera's uh, CEO, Ron. Uh, Shake? Yes, that's Ron Shake. Who, Ron Shake, is that how you yeah. pronounce yeah. the last name? I never listened to the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he did a great I job. I knew how to say it. He's on, I do he's on my the short show. list right here. Ron Shake. Yeah, he, he did a great job turning Panera around. And I think they've lived up to their food with, well, that's, that, that's not their tagline, but their quality food. Yeah. They've lived up to that in a way that uh, Chipotle apparently hasn't. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's actually who I was going to say. The other person I was thinking of, who is uh, who is soon to be, maybe looking for work or maybe looking for a change, would be uh, would be Sally Smith, who is getting ready to mm. be done at uh, at, at Buffalo mm-hmm. Wild Wings. You saw the announcement that they are actually going to be taken taken over uh, by Roark Capital. 
Uh, but previously, she'd said she was stepping down. And so she is someone who we have known for a long time. We have a tremendous rem- amount of respect for her. And she has operated in an environment in, in an environment in which she has made something that was maybe not very differentiated, you know, buffalo wings, uh, and differentiated them. And to me, that might be a a good step for for both parties. And the the one I want to throw in the mix is Patrick Doyle from Domino's because mm. he he scores high on my proprietary humility index a few years back when he basically acknowledged people think our pizza tastes like cardboard, we're going to make it better. And I love 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 that sort of humility because then you're looking at all possible solutions and that's my problem with Chipotle and I'm a shareholder. But this whole food with integrity and this patting ourselves on our own back as a customer, that doesn't really help me. I want food that tastes good, and I think they're a little too. There's too much navel gazing there. They got they got to get rid yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. yeah, and Bill Bill brings up a great point. That's no longer novel. There's so many places that bring you local quality food uh, with integrity. My wife uh, is an actress, and they're wrapping up. A, so you're gonna throw her out as the next CEO? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty, she that's is looking solid. for a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she said at the production meeting last night, which is about twenty production crew cast they had dinner and dinner was brought into them and it was chipotle and i was surprised when she told me last night that everyone looked at each other with worry they had not none of them had eaten <laughs> oh chipotle gosh. since the scare oh, two wow. years ago and i haven't either so it's amazing how quickly you can kill a brand or kill the trust in a brand yeah. but they all did eat it and she said it was great only were... three of them died so <laughs> <very> that's <laughs> but that's how much work they have oh, to gotcha. do still to get people back in they those really do. locations it's what? a totally unfair comparison but i was in texas for the holidays and i was going to go to jack in the box for breakfast and tacos and then I, and i didn't cuz remember jack in the box uh, i do had, I remember, had yeah. some of their own issues so you yeah. know who else actually uh, would be a great CEO for them is uh, Cheryl Batchelder, who's the CEO at Popeyes, which was a legit turnaround. I mean, it was ten years ago. It was irrelevant. It was dirty. It was a place that had very, with the exception of the fact that their chicken is awesome. It had it had really really bad name recognition, <laughs> and now it, it doesn't. Not not yeah. food with integrity. No no. Now <laughs> it's mean, now it's my favorite Cajun restaurant. Popeyes, right? Popeyes is really oh yeah over Chick fil oh, Chick fil A is not Cajun, nah, but no, no. Well, Popeyes is legit. Okay, well let, let's let's keep it on the subject of restaurants because I know that we also um, love talking Shake Shack, and 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 the the hook here is that the for the Shake month Shack. of November, um, Bill. The short interest, the people betting against this stock, a lot of people betting against um, Shake Shack, short interest on the rise. So, when you look at Shake Shack right now, is this another kind of star waiting to fall? Or do you think it has? There's more something really interesting. So for people for people who are not familiar, who have not tried Shake Shack, Shake Shack is a very high end burger restaurant, and they do a really good job. Uh, it's it was based in New York, based uh, in the, you know the founders Danny Meyer. Most of their profits and most of the revenues still come from New York, from the Big Apple. They do very they do much less well outside of New York, and so as you're getting to the point now where New York is a saturated market for them. Where do they go? Where the economics are similar, that they have the same, you know, that that they have the same level of pricing power, if you will, mm-hmm. and that's that's the core of the short thesis. It's not that it's a poorly run company. It's not that they're out ahead of their skis. The valuation is really high, and New York is about as good as it's going to get 
for Shake Shack. And to me, those those two things at least bear thinking about. Yeah. Initially, I mean, I should say I, I thought you pronounced it Shake Shake. You know, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's another shack. Okay, great. Shake Shack. So we've been short shares of Shake Shack in Motley Fool Pro Easy for, for you to say for about <laughs> a year, and they're down about fifteen percent. But in this market, I'm not. That's that's a good result. Yeah. Um, it does look. It, it looks very expensive, as Bill said. It trades at about seventy times, seventy-five times expected earnings for next year. Even as their employment costs are going up, their promotion costs are going up. Traffic has been down the last three quarters, uh, with a three point eight percent drop in traffic last quarter. And that's for and that's for for stores, stores that have been open for more than a year. That's right, Bill. Yeah, Same okay. store sales. Right. Uh, I think it's a young chain to be posting big drops in traffic like that. And Bill is exactly right. These stores in New York and Manhattan make seven million each a year, and newer stores make half that, more or less. And then further out, locations that are even less central will will make a bit less. Yeah, they can't charge that much in Louisville. They just, I mean, they can't. And yep. there's so many good burger places now. This well, feels a lot like the cupcake craze a few years it ago. It does feel saturated, and they do, as Bill said, have a good brand and good story and good. I, people who yeah, like you don't it, have to it. say anything bad about the operations of the company to come up with that conclusion. Yeah, you're not yeah. saying you know Shake Shack they're doomed because they're idiots. What you're you know essentially what you're saying is that the model is going to struggle as they try and that's push the, it out. That's what bears are thinking and the yeah. shorts are thinking. They do have 77 million in net cash. They look to grow their store count. By 36 percent to 40 percent next year, which would be the biggest jump uh, since they IPO'd. Yeah. They're looking to add 32 to 35 new locations next year, but they're they're still in the U.S. Uh, domestic owned shacks. But yeah, they're still a small company, and they're trade ex- trading extremely expensively on a per unit basis, on earnings, on cash flow, on anything you look at, and it's still in the end just. Uh, a burger chain. I hate to hate to put Do it. Do you that like way, investing in restaurants? Almost like, never. Almost. And never. I've missed some giant winners because of it, yeah. but I've also missed a lot of heartache. Yeah, so. I think what we've learned with with, with Chipotle that you've seen uh, over time is that the brands mean so much, but I don't know that there's an industry where the brands are more fragile than they are in the restaurant. Yeah, industry. and if you get it right, I mean, look at McDonald's. Uh, just. Yeah. Life-making fortune, uh, but there are so few of those. When you add them up, cheesecake yeah. was was great. Yeah, but McDonald's also had a you know walk in the shadow of the Valley yeah. of Death. You know, <laughs> I mean, for you know, and then it's coming back. Oh yeah, yeah. But it, like when in 1999, 2000, people were valuing McDonald's based on its real estate. That's how yeah. bad the brand itself was at that time. So yeah, they yeah. can come back. I mean, you, you, it is it is certainly possible. I would much rather be in Chipotle's place right now than I would be in Shake Shack's place right now because they have an installed base and they have a they have a brand that is known and it's recoverable. Even now, the story has changed completely. As we've seen and as Panera has done so well at, you have to be in the customer's pocket on an app and make it easy to order and deliver and pick up. And so even now. The competitive landscape is getting more and more uh, brutal. And guys, before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks to Slack for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. We love Slack here at the Molly Fool. We use Slack 
every single day. Slack is a messaging app that brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Slack allows you to organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, and searchable archives, all in one easy-to-use app. Major companies regularly use Slack, companies like Capital One and Electronic Arts. And guys, as I mentioned, we've been using Slack for years. Yeah. Long yeah. time. It really cuts down on the amount When's of the last time internal you, email. For sure. When's the last time you called someone internally? <sighs> it's, <laughs> it's been like, you know, ot, ot six, maybe. Ot. <laughs> I don't have a phone. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Slack. So, with, yeah. with Slack, no more searching through a bunch of emails for that one follow up email that you're looking for. No more switching across multiple tabs and platforms to keep updated with your work. Slack also features drag and drop file sharing that works with all the apps you already use, like Dropbox, Google Drive, and Trello. Plus, you can tailor Slack to your work with over 900 apps. And with the mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly, you can always pick up where you left off, no matter where you are. Slack, where work happens. Find out why at slack.com. That's slack.com. I wonder if you can order Panera through Slack. Yeah. Is that you know, when he, says, when he says drag and drop, I think of like... <laughs> <laughs> Dropping from the sky. <laughs> Fire ablaze. Okay, guys, our our <laughs> that is an amazing feature. <laughs> <laughs> it's a free show, people. Yep, yep. <laughs> okay, guys, our final story: Uber. Uber reporting a one point five billion dollar quarterly loss. Bill. That's 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 that seems like a large number to me, <laughs> but it's a it's a quarterly number. So if you it's annualize that, that's pretty good. <laughs> so now this it really <laughs> takes something to lose one point five. I want a chance to lose one point five billion dollars in a quarter. Who's with me? I like it. So so the CEO has said you know um, that the company plans to IPO in twenty nineteen. All right. Um, I don't want to say are they still on track, but but I you, think they're going to. How are you feeling about Uber? Well, they're going to have to IPO. I mean, for 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 one, they're going to have too many shareholders. That was why. Remember when when uh, Facebook. Now I'm spacing. It was Facebook. I was going to say Google, but it was Facebook actually when they came public. It was simply because they had too many shareholders to, uh, of record to remain private. So, Uber's coming private, coming public one way or another. I mean, it's just it's just going to happen. And what about the business? It's a mess. It's a mess with huge optionality. Like it's just one of those businesses that, and this is terrible for a podcast that I kind of feel like I don't have to have an opinion on. Right? It could do. It really could do either. But they have you. You would have to say now with their core business that it's really big, and they are still not making profits. And to me, that's an issue. Yeah, and there's some argument to be said that. Some companies have profitability in their DNA. They become profitable early on, and that's how they run the business, and that's how they grow it. Google was an example. Yeah. Came public profitable. eBay, Facebook, uh, a lot of great companies are profitable when they come public. Then again, some others are not, like Amazon. But the size of these losses and the way they've grown the business to date, which is chasing market share, uh, it may make it more difficult for them to become a steadily profitable business. It may be hard for them to to turn that corner and and make that you know their their foundation. Yeah, the thing I can't get over with Uber, and I I can't get around this, and is that this business was founded based upon ignoring and breaking the laws and regulations. Mm. It it was right. Yep. So yep. so 
that's what's in their DNA, right? So, of all the businesses that that have had that have been beset by scandal, by managerial scandal, Uber was the one that surprised me the least because when they started, they just. And I'm not saying this wasn't of benefit to a lot of people, but they just said, look, the taxi regulations are really stupid and anti-competitive. So, we're just going to do something else. We're just going to ignore them. Kind of a Napster sort of Kind thing. of a Napster, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I don't know. Do I have to know? You don't have to know. No, okay. uh, we'll look forward to seeing the financials when they file their yeah. statements. So, great service, not necessarily great investment. Yeah, if you love red numbers... Uh, the other thing is, there's no switching cost at all. I haven't used Uber for a long time. I switched to Lyft, and I'm just as happy. It is the same cars. Yeah, and the drivers. <laughs> yeah, for the, yeah, for the most part, drivers. yeah. You know, Lyft has been great. Lyft is my go-to now. Yeah. So and there you go. Happier drivers, uh, maybe perhaps. You, you think so? Well, I, I haven't researched this to know if it's true, but one Lyft driver told me that after eight hours or so, Lyft makes you take a break from work. Mm. They say you got to, you need to take six hours off or whatever. Go get some sleep. Uber has no such. Uh, governor on their people, and they yep. can drive thirty hours in a row, and so it goes. If that's true, I mean, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that. someone who's been driving for thirty straight hours. <laughs> we, you know what? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Someone who stamina. <laughs> Do I get a discount if someone's been that's driving right. for like three I can days? Drive, I can drive to Dulles Airport in my sleep. Watch this. I'll, I'll, Do you mind? Do you mind? I'll pay you to let me drive for you, because I've been driving for so many days. I hope that's not true. So, if there's no switching costs, what are your margins going to be in the end? You know? Yeah, well, that's not good. Yeah, it's still pretty powerful. But network. it's a powerful network. You can't okay, deny that. Okay, so I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna count you both as kind of cautiously pessimistic on Uber. I want to be bullish, in fact, but well, you need good management. And you need well, you can't be cautiously pessimistic. <laughs> pessimistic is cautious. Let's see, you've got to be what? no, but it's not unbridled. It's it's unbridled pessimism. There I'd, you go. I'd be more drawn to Lyft just because yeah. they've avoided scandal yeah. uh, for the yeah. most part. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Airbnb, which may go public as soon as next year. It's, they've okay. also had their own basket of issues. Snakes, but right, yeah, yeah. snakes. That's a whole nother show. Okay, well, guys, we will keep an eye on it. Jeff, Bill, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Mac. Thank you. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.